welcome to another Future of Real Estate podcast. I'm Damien Wilde. We weren't as frequent as I would have liked with this podcast last year, but 2021 is going to be different. We'll be here every month discussing issues that are impacting on real estate in the short, medium and especially long term. This week, though, we could hardly avoid lockdown. We have a roadmap out and continuing good news on vaccines. But there's always a but, isn't there? Given that so many businesses have been hit so hard, recovery will take years. Nowhere more so than in hospitality. It's a sector whose fortunes are both linked to and help determine the fortunes of town centres, of course. It also plays a fundamental role in communities and in health and well-being. And for the real estate sector, it is, or it was, such an important part of the tenant base. Kate Nichols, Chief Executive of the Sector Trade Body UK Hospitality, and such an effective champion of the sector during this crisis, joined me to, to discuss what should happen next now that the Prime Minister has set out the government's lockdown exit strategy. We covered whether damage to the sector was fatal, the need for further government support, and why it's unrealistic for landlords to expect to recover all rent lost from the sector. Pain, she says, will need to be shared by landlords, tenants and investors. Kate, thanks very much for joining me today. So as of this week, we have a roadmap out of lockdown. You've been very vocal for the threats to the, the hospitality industry over the last year. How grave is the situation today? Well, I think the situation today is is as dire as it's ever been. You know, I think we, we do have some clarity now, certainly for England. We're waiting to see that clarity for Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland. Uh, but we do have clarity in England about an aspirational date for reopening um, and crucially an end date for restrictions, which is when you can start to trade at a, a more viable level. Um, however, it is a very long way off. Uh, and if you look at the situation at the moment, the industry is burning half a billion pounds of cash a month just to remain closed. So you've got a law of diminishing returns. They are rapidly running out of road. They are rapidly going through their cash reserves. Uh, and then they are into ever increasing levels of debt. And that is going to be critical to, to the future recovery. Just one in five businesses say they have sufficient cash to get through to March, let alone to get through to May, which is the, the promised reopening date in reality. Um, that's the key date that everybody's working towards. Uh, so, so you've got businesses clinging on by their fingertips trying to eke out the cash that they've got, government grants not covering all of those fixed costs, and businesses really looking at uh, the, the budget next week uh, as the key to whether they've got a, a route map to survival to get reopened on, on the 17th of May, uh, because those support measures, there's a cliff edge coming. All of the support measures fall away on the 31st of March. So, you know, at the moment you're still in, despite having a roadmap and dates, you're still in the period of maximum uncertainty as to whether your business is viable. And I think it's summed up really best by one line that was in the, the route map itself, which the government acknowledges, is that the longer these restrictions are in force and every day that these restrictions are in force, the more likely it is that you will have businesses that become insolvent and premises, particularly community pubs, bars, restaurants uh, and town centre premises, and it particularly flagged London and, and major city centres as a concern, the more likelihood you are that you will have those premises closing for good. So really that threat of business viability is, is where we're at now. 
It, it really is desperate. I'd like to come back to the, the budget and what you would hope to see there and also the impact on, on town centres. But first, just that, that roadmap this week, is that helpful or is it, uh, is it only going to compound these problems? And are you hopeful that some of those dates could perhaps move forward? Um, I'm not hopeful that those dates will move forward. The government has been crystal clear that these are the earliest possible dates and they will only move one way. And I think that that is the nervousness at the moment, that you can't say that these dates are baked in um, and you can't rely upon them because there will be tests going forward. And we need to understand much more fully what the government means by the reviews ahead of that, how they will be carried out and the detail of the evidence that will be required to determine whether that come, that gets pushed back or, or can be proceed as planned. Um, we're hopeful that that can be firmed up as quickly as possible. We know that the tests are linked around vaccine rollout, um, uh, infection levels, uh, the threat to the NHS resources of being overwhelmed as a result of those infection levels. But then critically, the one that is unknown is, uh, is around the research around vaccine effectiveness in, in transmission, but also vaccine effectiveness against new variants. And that's the sort of unknown variable that could just knock it off just a week before um, you, you could have uncertainties. If you think back to what, where we were when, when we suddenly discovered the, the sort of um, South African variant and it was popping up and you had surge testing. Actually, it hasn't proved to be a problem, but you can see how easily you could derail that 17th of, of May date as a result of that. So, so we know that it won't get brought forward. Um, it, it is helpful to have those dates. It helps businesses to be able to plan. It gives a greater degree of certainty when people are going to, to, to seek refinancing because you, you have got an end date that you can look towards for, for reopening. If it does move, it's not going to move months. It's going to move days or weeks. And I think the critical one is that backstop of the 21st of January when the government has said they hope to be in a position subject to review to end 21st all, of June this is yeah. yeah yeah 21st of June that's when they hope to be in a position to end all legal limits on social contact which is not just the sort of rule of six and group sizes but also the operational constraints around social distancing around table service which means businesses are not profitable so I think it's helpful in that respect but we do need to understand the review dates and mechanisms so that we can then uh, go and talk to banks go and talk to landlords um, and also importantly, you need to know the support mechanisms that go alongside it. So I don't think the, the, the route map is just half the answer at the moment. We have to wait another week before we get the second half of the answer to know whether you know businesses will fold, businesses will just hand back their keys or whether they think that they've got a survival line. OK, thank you. This is a very broad sector and we're talking about it in its entirety. But which parts have been hit hardest? Um, I think quite clearly any town and city centre that's been hit hardest, particularly our major metropolitan cities, London, Manchester, Birmingham, Liverpool, Newcastle. Those are the ones that have been the hardest hit, uh, Leeds and Sheffield as well. They have had uh, in London, Manchester, Birmingham, triple whammy, no commuters, no international tourists. Um, no cultural activity and events, which are, are such big generators for them. So they are undoubtedly the hardest hit, and that would be hotels, pubs, bars, restaurants. It's a, a delicate ecosystem and ecostructure, and also, crucially, the supply chains which, which wrap around them. Over and above that, you're then looking, again, it, it's not necessarily subsector, 
its leasehold properties. They have been hardest hit throughout of this because they've had that additional debt of rent building up that they've never been able to get over and, and deal with because they haven't had a clear line of sight for reopening. And that could be a real millstone around their neck for recovery and could be the difference between them holding on until the 17th of May and, and making it through to the end of the year or, or folding earlier on. And I do think that um, we haven't seen the worst of it yet. I, I think, you know, 21st of June, 17th of May, whichever date people choose to pick as the sort of start date and reopening date, I actually think the recovery can't start until the 21st of June. And I think, you know, there's many businesses yet that will have survived the black swan of COVID last year and the lockdowns. And it's the grey rhinoceros of debt and lack of consumer confidence and lack of business investment and a slower recovery than anticipated. That grey rhinoceros running alongside us for the whole of next year until April 2022 is what could yet do for many businesses. Okay, and if office workers are unable to return until June as yes. well, that's the clientele of many of these businesses too. It is, and actually that's one of the big uncertainties that you've got. You know. Government is saying that they're changing the work from home advice uh, over the course of, of April and May, but actually you're not having an active encouragement to return to work and uh, until 21st of June. For many officers, they will be making their decisions now and planning now about return to work. If you can't have that certainty that that date is, is fixed, it's possible that you're not having big scale return to work and offices in places like London and Manchester until well into the second half of this year, maybe even next year. You know, if I take my example, I, I'm, I'm now looking at leases and licenses that I, I need for my office space, for my team. And, and you know, why would you, you make decisions about having a full space that you can accommodate everybody when you don't know what conditions you're going to have? Uh, and if I'm doing that in a small business, lots of big businesses are going to be doing the same and putting off decisions about office space until next year. Yes, absolutely. <clears throat> I'd like to ask about, sorry, excuse me. I'd like to ask about the the why and the and sort of the, the, the government's thinking and get your view on that. I saw a, a, a tweet this week from Sasha Lord, um, the nighttime czar to uh, the mayor of Greater Manchester. And after the announcement, after the roadmap was announced, he tweeted, caution is the right approach for the long term. But on the 12th of April, I will be able to drive into town, go shopping all day, have a haircut on the way home, then swing by Sainsbury's to pick up my dinner. I won't be able to sit in Pret and have a sandwich for lunch. All of those places are their potential sources of infection, of course. But um, but hospitality stands slightly apart, doesn't it? Do you, is is that well founded? Do you understand why that is? Uh, I, I understand why the government has made the decision it has. I don't think it's well founded to choose to prioritise other parts of the economy over hospitality and leisure. And I think there are some arbitrary distinctions that have been made, some of which you've, you've just highlighted. You know, I, I had another one where one of my hotels um, can open their gym, can open their, their, um, their spa facilities. You can have a haircut and a facial. You can uh, use the outside restaurant terrace, but you can't stay overnight in the hotel. Uh, you know, th those are sort of very strange distinctions. So we need to work through them with government. I, I understand the reasoning behind it is that they've 
They phased the reopening, not on the basis of risk, but just on the basis of volume so that you can do it gradually. Um, but it has led to some discriminatory decisions that have been made. Uh, and I think, you know, it's not fair to categorise hospitality as being a higher risk. There's nothing inherently more risky about hospitality. And the controls we've put in place are arguably far greater than some of those areas excuse me, like like retail, we've got far more controls. We had a YouGov survey that was done um, end of last year. 72% of people said that in hospitality, they felt safe. There was plenty of space. There was good ventilation. There was hygiene and sanitation. Only 27% felt safe in, in retail. And you look at some of the decisions, you know, take, taking Manchester, the Trafford Centre was able to open. The only two places that were closed in the Trafford Centre were Legoland Discovery Centre and another indoor attraction. So, you know, they were as safe. There was no reason why they should have to stay closed. I, I see. And we touched on or, or you touched on uh, some of the areas hit hardest and uh, talked about leaseholders there. And I wonder how <laughs> relations with landlords have been during this crisis for your tenants. Has that been a, a source of complaint or a, a source of comfort? Uh, I think it's it's a parson's egg, I would have to say. It's it's good in parts. And you've probably got uh, landlords that have split into to three, really. Um, we, we monitor it by premises rather than... Um, company um, for for about 40% of, of hospitality premises, there has been no engagement, there's been no forgiveness, there's been no element of concession at all. And the approach has been quite hard line that, um, you know, as soon as the moratoriums lift, the, the rent becomes due in full um, and there's no negotiation. You've probably got a third of landlords that have been really positive, proactive, supportive, um, particularly in the pub sector, where you've got a lot of industry landlords who have been supportive and, and you've seen rent cuts and you've seen rent reductions and you've seen forgiveness of rent altogether. And then sitting in the middle are, are landlords that are waiting to see which way the government goes and might be prepared to do some negotiations. Um, but, but a lot of that has just been deferment of rent and there's no resolution of that debt. And I do think that is going to be the big issue that we need to focus on going forward. We need an extension of the moratorium because the businesses are now not going to be able to open and trade really effectively until June. So you've got another two quarters of rent that are affected. So we need the moratorium extended and you need to have government brokered solution on rent debt. And that is going to have to be a partnership approach of sharing the pain between landlord, lessee and investors. Because not a, nobody can can manage to, to take the entire burden of that rent debt upon them, but we can look at sharing it between us. And if government can incentivise that by using tax credits as they've done abroad, that would be incredibly helpful. Um, but I think it is going to need to be a, a government brokered solution uh, because that debt coming over will will impair the recovery and it will slow down the ability of operators to, to invest and grow and trade their way out of this. So we do need to have a more understanding discussion amongst a wider range of landlords. And as I say, not all landlords are the same, but there is going to need to be a wider understanding. Do you get any indications from government that they're, they're prepared to see that? I, I ask that because landlords would say they've had uh, less support than some other parts of the, the economy from government. 
Uh, yes, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, government is is un actively discussing how they can help resolve this and, and, and try and bring both sides of the economy together. Um, they are reluctant to intervene in a commercial relationship, but they understand the imperative of addressing this. Um, clearly, the best way to get out of this is to allow the businesses to trade. Um, but they're not going to be able to to trade effectively and sustainably while there is no deferral of rent debt or, or solution to tackle rent debt. Uh, 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 that That's just going to tip them over into insolvency. So we do need a more pragmatic understanding of landlords. And while there has been support for hospitality, it's never been sufficient to offset the loss of revenue, the significant loss of revenue. Um, and therefore, you, you do need both sides to bear the pain. You know, it's totally unrealistic for a landlord to expect to get their rent in full for the whole year that has been affected by COVID from hospitality businesses. There are other sectors where that that that's not the case. But for hospitality, two thirds of the, the by the time we get to sort of April, May, two thirds of the time we will have been closed with no revenue. The rest of the time severely restricted so that we can't break even. It's unrealistic for a landlord to expect the full rent. Okay. And that, that's part of what you'd hope to see in the budget. What else would you hope to see in the budget? Well, I think what you need to have clearly with these restrictions in place for far longer and a, a, a drag on the recovery period, you'd need to have an extension of the existing measures. So we'd like to see 100% business rates relief. That will help businesses get pay down the debt get back into to, to operating effectively and also unlock some of the discussions about future rents. So you need 100%. It's a can that's been kicked down the road again, of course. It, it is, it is. Um, but, but you know, the government is looking seriously at root and branch reform and, and COVID could be the catalyst for that. They're also looking at reviewing the Landlord and Tenant Act. And again, you know, those are two pieces of legislation, one from, from 1940s, 1950s, one from the 1980s, totally out of kilter with a modern economy and a modern property centre and totally out of kilter with the need for ur urban renewal. And we are going to have to have a sort of Marshall plan for our town and city centres to, to, to come back and, and do things differently. So, so this gives them the, the opportunity to do that. But in the meantime, you need 100% rate relief for hospitality um, for the whole of the year to be able to get hospitality back. Um, and an extension of the VAT cut, reduced uh, VAT rate that will allow us to stimulate consumer demand, rebuild shattered balance sheets. Again, both of those measures together would allow hospitality to recover six to nine months more quickly than it would otherwise. And then we can get back to, to co-investment and working in partnership with landlords to tackle rents. And the, the third element we would want to see is extension of flexible furlough. Furlough comes to an end 30th of April. Clearly, you're going to need furlough flexibility right up until uh, August, September. It took 10 weeks for, for trade to recover last summer. We anticipate it'll take us long again. So you need to have furlough for that period. And then finally, you know, the, the grant support, the government should be bold and ambitious. Now we know we're getting to the end. Give the hospitality sector the grant support it needs to get through three more months of no revenue. And uh, lastly, on on town centres, which you mentioned there, a Marshall plan Go, going even before this crisis, retail was struggling in in many um, sub sectors and many parts of the country, and the hope was that leisure would ride to the rescue in shopping centres. That looks challenged now. What might that Marshall plan look like? 
Um, well, I think you're going to need a, a refresh and a review of planning and licensing so that both of those regimes are enabling to encourage and incentivize that investment. You know, again, you've got regimes that were set up early 2000s when our town and city centres were looking very different. I think there is a key element there as well about permitted development rights uh, and the move to residential. I think there's a danger that with a lot of that empty property, you will move it to residential and you need to make sure that what you've got is um, mixed use developments and you incentivize mixed use developments. Um, but experiential leisure is going to be critical to taking over that empty retail space left by department stores. These are big buildings. Um, so we need to be creative in, in our licensing and planning to make sure that you accommodate that mixed use because it, it, it sort of it doesn't fit logically into any of the, the controls that we've got at the moment where you're looking at, you know, changing use during the day and nighttime, alcohol and licensing. And you've got controls that tend to get put in place that are more pertinent to a very late night bar or a nightclub, not to a sort of leisure environment. Um, and crucially, I think then, as I said before, you know, the, the review of business rates to make sure that you've got a supportive framework there, the review of Landlord and Tenant Act, but you need to make sure that the planning regime is as streamlined as possible and uh, reflects the need for, for vital and vibrant town centres to have mixed use developments. Well, Kate, a lot of change that will, will need to happen in a relatively short period if um, many of these places and businesses are to survive. But thank you for joining us today. Thanks to Kate there. The challenges really are formidable. Clearly, any sort of meaningful recovery is a long way off and some way beyond the 21st of June. Thank you for listening and I hope you can join me for another Future of Real Estate podcast next month. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the EG Property Podcast. We hope you found the content insightful and helpful. If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.